Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to Work Happy, the new podcast all about workplace happiness, brought to you by WorkLife, with me, journalist Angelica Malin. This season, we're going on a journey to dig deep into the secrets of workplace happiness with advice from experts, entrepreneurs, and coaches in the field. Emma Rosen is a workplace happiness expert, author, and speaker. Emma spent a year working in 25 different jobs before her 25th birthday, everything from archaeology in Transylvania to alpaca farming in Cornwall. Her 25 Before 25 project aims to promote portfolio careers, highlight the importance of work experience for all ages, and advocate for more diverse careers education for young people. Prior to the project, Emma worked as a civil servant for the UK government. Her debut book, The Radical Sabbatical, was a Financial Times Business Book of the Month. Emma Rosen, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Can you tell me, in your own words, uh, all about your career? Hi, well, thank you so much for having me. Um, So to tell you a little bit about my career and myself, I started uh, in a very traditional sort of nine-to-five job uh, straight out of university, and it turns out that I absolutely hated it. It was not for me, not so much the job itself, but more just kind of the whole nine to five commute, traditional way of, of having a profession. Um, and so I had no idea what to do instead, though. So um, after a year of continuing on in the job and thinking about it and not knowing what to do, um, I decided to take a sabbatical, to take a year out um, and to try 25 different jobs through short term work experience before my 25th birthday. Um, and the idea behind this was obviously, obviously to figure out what it was I wanted to do, um, but it was also to try and kind of promote more careers education for young people, more diverse careers education, um, and the importance of work experience, of trying things before you fully invest and commit to them um, up front, effectively. Uh, and then after the end of the project, after a year, um, I wrote a book all about my experiences, which came out uh, in 2019. Uh, and I now work as a public speaker, giving TED Talks and going into schools, universities, businesses, talking all about my experiences. Tell me a little bit about your book that came out of the project. Uh, yeah, sure. So it was published in January of last year. Uh, so it's been out just uh, just under a year now. Um, and it's partly um, talking all about the different placements that I did to kind of inspire readers uh, but more so it's a self-help book so it's guiding you through everything that I did in a huge amount more detail on how you can do it so that is how to kind of set up your own work experience and work shadowing program how to get those placements how to have a portfolio career how to be self-employed 
um, and really, really specific practical advice on how to go about doing all of that, whilst hopefully inspiring you with lots of stories about alpaca farming along the way. <laughs> that sounds amazing. I also want to go farm with alpacas now. <laughs> Several people have actually ended up going to uh, down to the farm in Cornwall to help her yeah, out. You're, sa- you're an alpaca influencer. Well, there we go. Who, th- who knew that was a thing? <laughs> it's so, I have so many questions about this. So firstly, what kind of inspired the 25 before 25? Had you heard of anyone else that had done something similar or were you just like, this is something I really want to do? Um, no, I, I hadn't heard of anybody doing something similar, to be honest. And it came, from, I think, I think ideas sometimes come from either inspiration or desperation. And I think this was like definitely more towards the desperation side of things. I was uh, really unhappy in what I was doing and it was really starting to kind of impact my relationships, uh, the time that I was spending outside of work, even to an extent my mental health. Um, And I just sat down one night and just decided to write a list of everything that I'd ever wanted to try. All of the things from sort of age five when you want to be an astronaut all the way through, just to kind of start thinking about what I might do. And I ended up with a list of 25 and then this kind of little idea popped into my head as I was just about to turn 24 at the time um, to try them all before my 25th birthday. And that had quite a nice ring to it. Mm. And it would give me sort of a start date and an end date, which I hoped I could then sell to a future employer if need be to say, this is a set project that I did and I'm going to build a website so that I can show you kind of all the skills that I gained from it as well. Um, But also, yeah, I just, I needed the time, I think, to reflect and really take my career seriously. Like I, I know plenty of people, of course, take, you know, a sabbatical and do volunteering or go backpacking, whatever it was, but I felt like I needed something that was really sort of work focused to give myself the time to kind of understand all of that. What was the reaction from friends and family when you said you were going to do it? Um, A surprise, I would say. Uh, Yeah, I think my parents and sort of older family members um, didn't really know what to make of it and took quite a lot of convincing. Uh, But it was when I spoke to people my own age uh, and sort of my generation that it did sort of start to make a lot of sense because they immediately got it. They immediately knew exactly what I was talking about. And so many of them started to say, I feel the same way. Um, And it was sort of their reaction that made me think, you know what, maybe this isn't just about me. Maybe this is a more systemic issue across Mm -hmm. younger people. And actually, maybe that's another reason why this is worth investing the time into. Um, And so I started writing a blog. Um, and when I f- published the first post, I, I literally just put it on my Facebook, I think, uh, as this was a few years ago. And uh, within 24 hours, over a thousand people had sort of read it, commented on it, shared it, liked it, started messaging me, saying they felt the same way. Um, and so there was quite, a, therefore, obviously quite a lot of positive engagement quite quickly. Um, and then uh, I was very lucky in that kind of a couple of newspapers got in touch and asked to speak to me. And then when that happened, my parents were like, oh, OK, yeah, fine. all right, we'll give it a go. Like, yeah. we'll, see where, we'll see where you go with this. Um, but it kind of needed that sort of external validation to mm. kind of get parents on board. Um, but they, they were very supportive That initial that. push. Yeah, exactly. Um, so throughout the year, what were some of the highlights? What were some of the best things that you did? Oh, they, the careers were super varied and super diverse, I would say. Um, in terms of some of the highlights, one would be alpaca farming um, on a hillside in Cornwall in the middle of winter. Um, and kind of which really challenged a lot of my preconceptions and my assumptions and that was kind of a running theme throughout um, because I, I really liked the idea of doing something that's quite outdoorsy um, but also something maybe working with animals and so farming seemed quite obvious um, but I was worried that I'd miss sort of the intellectual challenge of kind of a more traditional job um, and I went down to Cornwall thinking you know I'm gonna be mucking out sheep and alpacas and it'll be great and but that'll kind of be it um, and I immediately realized kind of how wrong I was 
Um, it was, uh, she was effective, she was an entrepreneur effectively, so she had lots and lots of different lines of business. Um, but the one that I was helping her with, um, she would kind of get the alpacas, she would shear them, and she'd get the wool spun into yarn, and then the yarn made into high-end luxury children's wear that she'd sell to like Harrods, Selfridges, kind of high-end stores. And then if you kind of take a step back and think about all of the skills involved in that process, and actually that's what it means to be a farmer, it was just not something that I'd really mm. realised was the case until I'd obviously gone and seen for myself and sort of done it for myself. Um, and yeah, that was something that definitely came up time and time again. Uh, but in terms of some other highlights, um, there was working with police dogs. Um, there was being landscape gardener, uh, interior designer. Uh, there was being a travel writer in Venezuela, which happened to be during uh, the lead up to a civil war. Uh, which wasn't ideal. Uh, I was being an archaeologist in Transylvania. Uh, I was a journalist with the Telegraph um, and lots and lots of other things. Was there anything that. that was just awful that you just didn't enjoy at all? Yes, but I want to caveat it mm. by saying that I don't think it was right for me rather than it was an issue with the industry or the people that I was working with or anything like that. Uh, it was for me, which was a massive surprise. It was working in sort of publishing. Um, which seemed like a really natural fit because obviously I'm a writer, um, but I'm severely dyslexic. And so the worst thing you could ask me to do is to sit there and kind of proofread. Mm. Uh, I just, I'm, I'm terrible at it. Um, and so I turned up to the publisher and that was kind of the whole point of my placement was to kind of do things like that. And I, I was just useless. Mm. <laughs> and I was, it was not good for anybody involved. It was um, stressful. Yeah, exactly. So, but I think that's the sheer importance of work experience. And even, you know, as an adult in your 20s, 30s and, and so on, um, it's one of those things that I'd assumed I would love and be great at, but it was only by going and doing it that I realised that actually maybe this isn't so much for me. Mm. You know? Well, it's a funny thing, work experience, because we tend to do it when we're quite young, yeah. and yeah. then you just don't, and I don't think you think to do it as an adult, mm. and I suppose your experience is that it's really beneficial to try different things out. Oh, absolutely, that's exactly it. Um, I do agree with you that it's something that we do when we're sort of 14, that we potentially follow our parents or friends around, and that's kind of it. You do it when you're that age to tick a box because school says you have to. You have to. Um, whereas what I'm trying to do now and to advocate for is to change the perception of that and actually genuinely seeing it as an incredibly useful tool at any stage of life. And given that 72% of millennials are thinking about changing career and 54% cross-generationally, this is actually a really, really useful way to start approaching that problem. And it's an issue that bleeds into other areas of work. So our productivity levels in the UK are one of the lowest in the Western world. And I think it's just because we don't like our jobs that much, but we have this sort of mentality that we need to stick it out and we need to suffer and work's meant to be work, that doesn't mean fun. And all of these sorts of connotations. And whilst I think young people are trying to challenge that in the best ways that we can, I think just by trying things out for a few days here or there across your career is a really beneficial way of doing that without kind of throwing everything up in the air and quitting your job in a big place. Also, I suppose like millennials are less attracted to traditional industries because perhaps they're not doing work experience in them. But like you said, with the alpaca farming, it's not something when you graduate that you think to do. You probably, I don't know, you think social media or digital marketing and work experience, I suppose, can open your eyes to a variety of different things. Well, that's exactly it. I think you you don't know what you don't know, right? So growing up, you're kind of really only exposed to a very limited range of careers, and they tend to be things that you've been taught or you people have been introduced um, to you from at school or at university, and they tend to be relatively traditional. And it's only once you kind of grow up a bit and you realise that actually the world is a far, far bigger place than that, 
that you do kind of get exposed to other things. And I, I go into, as I said, a lot of schools and universities to talk about this. And it's one of the first exercises I do with young people. I put up the 25 jobs that I did and I said, I say, like, add to this list. Think of as many different types of things as you can. Mm. And so often they get kind of lawyer, doctor, really kind of obvious uh, traditional careers. And then beyond that, they're like, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I can't think of any. And then kind of that's the point is to say, well, if you don't know, maybe it's worth taking some time to actually think about this as, as broadly as possible instead. You Do know? you think it all gets a bit complicated with pay with payment as well? Because I think that's sometimes the thing that puts people off work experience. They don't know if, th if they should be paid, if they aren't. And it's not that clear also for employers as well. Yeah, absolutely. So what I'm advocating for is short term work experience. And what I mean by that is sort of two to three days using your annual leave if you're already in another job. Mm. Um, so in terms of the legality around it, legally as uh, work experience or work shadowing, you're not entitled to be paid. Mm. Um, the point of you being there is more to follow somebody around, just to see what it's like and to ask those questions. This isn't sort of a longer term internship where you're going to be doing actual work. Um, and the reason that I advocate for that is because you just it's just to get an insight. It's just to get some sort of idea of whether this is worth pursuing properly and actually doing things like internships and you know full-time jobs, or actually if you made a total mistake and that was a terrible idea. Um, so those two to three days you can do while you're still in a job, you're still earning, you don't need to kind of quit and mm. start all over, but just to kind of start you off down that journey and figure out if it's something worth spending the and time And something might on. really surprise you. I'm sure there's things along your journey that you enjoy that you weren't expecting, and it might just take you in a new direction. Um, so now with your career, I want to talk a little bit about purpose, because it seems like you've now kind of found a sense of purpose with work where you were in a corporate job that you were feeling quite stuck in. So do you feel like the experience of the, the sabbatical year kind of led you to your purpose and work, or do you think your purpose is an evolving thing? Um, I think for me it's uh, both, to be honest. I think it, this definitely led me to my purpose, and I think that it is evolving as I continue. Um, I started the project very much with a mentality of, at the end of this, I'm going to choose one, and that's my dream job, and that's that, and that's sorted for the rest of my life. Um, and I didn't end up doing a single job of all of the 25 that I spent an entire year trying, that I didn't pick any of them. Um, I ended up effectively continuing the project in another form um, mm. and specialising in a skill set instead, um, and, and in a cause, I guess, and a purpose. Um, so I specialise obviously in communications, both written and verbal, um, and the purpose really is kind of advocating for more careers, uh, more diverse careers education for, for young people. Um, and that is not something I started the journey thinking I'd end up doing in, mm. in any capacity. And yeah, it is growing and developing as, um, as time goes by, and I think it will take you know, a very squiggly route um, to where it will go. But I think, it's, I think it's perhaps a little unrealistic to expect that the thing that we do when we kind of first leave school or first leave university is what we'll end up doing for our whole lives. Um, and I definitely say that's one of the things that I learned that was kind of the most important out of everything that, that I did over the, the year was that there's no such thing as a career for life. And I know that's an obvious thing, but statistically we'll have five total career changes over the course of our life um, as our priorities change and shift. And so it is absolutely fine to say, I want to do this for now, for the next five years, 10 years, whatever mm -hmm. it is, and fully to expect yourself to have a complete change further down the line. So don't worry about it if you've got multiple interests or you don't know what your focus is yet, I would say to any listeners, it's fine, like, don't worry about it yet. I like the idea of connecting to a skill set because for me that feels like a, 
it gives you more of a sense of longevity because if you're understanding what skills you're offering and what your kind of individual offering is rather than saying like I am this job but actually I am these skills then it is translatable to different careers which I think is such a nice way of thinking about it and actually now you said that it's like oh I kind of feel like that's what I do actually is that the business might change but these are my skills. Well, I think that's a really good point because I think it makes us more resilient as employees as well, mm. um, particularly if we think about the way that the workplace is going to change over the next 5, 10, 20 years with tech, automation, AI. And that means several industries are going to kind of change in the nature of how many jobs they're going to be offering. Some will massively explode and others will implode. Um, and so being able to identify your core skills and apply them um, sector agnostically means that you're much more likely to be able to say, OK, perhaps this industry is not going great, but that's fine. I can pick myself up and apply those skills somewhere else. Um, and it's kind of helping us to understand that it's OK to want to be a wide achiever as opposed mm. to a high achiever. Mm, I like it. Wide <laughs> achiever. Yeah. Wide achiever. It's Absolutely. a 2020 mood. I enjoy that a lot. <laughs> um, do you have any tips for people who are feeling really stuck like you were in the corporate world and just don't know like what steps to take to get unstuck with their work? I think it's about exploration and experimentation. So give yourself permission, give yourself a chance to just see what's out there, see what takes your interest. Um, I think, and in, in my book, there's a graph kind of, I was talking about this point before about inspiration versus desperation. It's far better to start exploring this stuff before you feel desperate, because the more desperate you feel, the more unhappy you feel, the more likely you are to effectively jump from the frying pan into the fire. You'll take anything else to get away from where you are right there, rather than taking that time to reflect and be a bit more strategic with it. So don't kind of wait until it's too late. Start thinking, perhaps take the start of 2020 as an opportunity to say, okay, by the end of this year, I'm going to have figured this out rather than I need to figure this out right now and as quickly as possible. And I would say use that annual leave. Really, really use it. If you're thinking that you want to quit your job anyway, you don't need it. You've just got a whole new load of it. And honestly, just take a day or two, several times over, spread out, you know, maybe once a month to try different things out. Uh, and that's what I uh, advocate for is the most important thing. Mm. Just see, see what it's like. And then you can start to narrow it down. Um, I also think networking is a really, really important one. And I know people bang on about it and bang on about it, but I, I can't really stress it enough. Take your lunch hour to go and have a coffee or have lunch with somebody in an industry that you want to find out more about and just ask those difficult questions. Mm. Um, I think it's important to ask, obviously, about all the good stuff, but also about the bad stuff. You know, we're not 18 necessarily anymore, so I think it's fair to kind of understand what a job looks like holistically so if you need to make any compromises and every job you'll need to make compromises but to kind of make sure that you're okay with whatever those are you know if you know what I mean like if work-life balance is really important to you find out what it's genuinely like from somebody on the inside and then you can make a properly well-informed decision mm. and did you find for you that self-employment was the kind of best way to work you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I really enjoy working as a freelancer and kind of having that control over my career and choosing my own direction. Um, and again, it was something that I really didn't think was going to be for me at all. Um, I came from the civil service, which is, I think, the country's largest organisation of all. I think they employ 450,000 people, so massive. And I kind of assumed that I would stay in an organisation of that size. I didn't kind of think that, I didn't know I had it in me really to kind of do this my own way. Um, but it was only kind of going through that journey and going through that process that I realised that nobody else is quite doing it the way I am. And so I guess I'll have to, yeah. <laughs> scarily. <laughs> kind of make it up, I suppose, yeah. a little bit. Um, on the self-employment front, do you have any tips for work-life balance when it comes to being self-employed or having a portfolio career? 
Yeah, so I think that is something that people can potentially struggle with a little bit. Um, I definitely hear of a lot of people kind of work spilling over into weekends, evenings, holidays. Um, I'm very strict with it. I try, well, I try my best to be really, really strict with it. I kind of have my office hours effectively. Um, and wherever possible, I'll kind of pick things up the following working day rather than just, oh, I'll just check this, or I'll just reply to that other email. Um, because particularly the first couple of years when I started out, I was terrible at it. And I was working through all my holidays, I was working through weekends, and I was kind of sat back and realized, like, hold on, I'm meant to be taking control of this, and it's taking control of me. Mm. Um, so kind of, it was, I think, my 2019 resolution was to kind of be, be a bit better with that. Um, and I think it just comes from being as organized as you physically can, mm. um, really, really prioritizing what needs to be done versus what you want to do um, and building in time for you to kind of have off and kind of reflect and, and just chill out because it's realizing that actually I'm far more productive when I have a break and when I come back to it and kind of, yeah, I think it's creating important. restrictions and boundaries where mm. then they're, they're not naturally in place in the way that it is in a nine to five where you well, hopefully leave at five or you leave at seven, whatever. Um, and you don't have that when you're self-employed and you decide your hours. So actually you have to be quite, you have to be your own boss and you have to be kind to yourself as well. Absolutely. And I think you can be really flexible with it. So there's plenty of days where I decide, you know what, I'm going to go and I don't know, do a gym class and I'm not going to start work till 11, but that's okay. I'm going to carry on until seven or eight in the evening or vice versa. And because you make up your own hours, that's absolutely okay to do. Um, so when was it? Uh, just over a year ago, I spent a month working in Bali in a co-working space. Um, I was doing a couple of freelance jobs alongside obviously all the writing that I do. Uh, I was writing for the book at the time. And uh, I said, well, you know what, I can't, I don't necessarily have to be in London kind of at my co-working space nine to five, I could go somewhere else. And I kind of costed it up and realized it was cheaper for me to fly um, to Indonesia and rent out a place there and live there and fly back than it was to stay where I was. And I was like, well, actually that's kind of worthwhile taking the time to go and see whether that's something I want to do. Um, and it was brilliant. It was absolutely great. So if that's an option, you know, I, I definitely sold it to the two bosses that I was working for as a freelancer at the time. Amazing. So, yeah. Do you think that being self-employed makes you happier? I think it depends on the type of person you are mm. and, you know, your circumstance, your situation. But um, for me, yes, it has made me so much happier. Um, it's given me the freedom to be creative and to be innovative in a way that I didn't feel I was able to do in a more traditional profession. Um, I kind of have been quite uh, traditionally academic throughout kind of school and uni and again in my first job and all of a sudden I felt this other half of my brain explode that had kind of been wanting to come out for so long that had never really had the opportunity and it just felt yeah like this giant weight had been lifted that I hadn't really even realized was there and it had been on my shoulders for all these years and all of a sudden one day it just kind of went and yeah felt yourself definitely standing a inch taller. Was that the creative side of things? That was that that feeling of it being yeah. lifted? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Because I didn't feel like in what I was doing before there was much space or any space really to express that in the way that I wanted to. Mm. Um, and, and just to generate new ideas as much as possible and test them out in that kind of, I guess, entrepreneurial spirit to an extent. Um, and yeah, I've, I really, really enjoyed exploring that and continuing to do so. Do you have any advice for people who are thinking about going from a nine to five into self-employment? Of course, I'm going to say go for it, <laughs> but I'm biased. Um, I would say you don't need to, it depends on the f financial situation that you're in. Um, I don't think you necessarily need to drop everything and struggle for years and years and years. It doesn't need to be like that. 
Um, flexible working and part-time working is increasingly common and legally any business has to consider your request for flexible and part-time working and that doesn't necessarily just mean for childcare and things like that and so I would say take advantage of that and slowly start to scope out your business idea or whatever it might be the creative thing that you're thinking about doing start doing it in the evening start doing it on weekends while you figure it out and while you start to test it and then slowly over time you can kind of redress that balance towards moving into a uh, full-time kind of self-employment. Mm. Um, obviously kind of test the water a bit before. Exactly, exactly. It makes it much less scary. Mm. I think particularly if you've been in a larger organisation for you know several years, I found it terrifying, absolutely terrifying to say, it's all me, all on my own, and I'm responsible for everything, going from the complete opposite of that, having not really had any kind of educational background in that before, having no idea what you're doing. That's that's a scary move. So there's you don't necessarily need to kind of do it in one big scary move. You can break it up into smaller steps and that is okay. Gotta make sure that you do kind of what's right for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is a bit of a culture of like just go for it and actually that's not always the best of advice. It can be just like a slow ease in, perhaps. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think it's just yeah, figuring out obviously your own financial circumstances because mine was very much having to save every single penny that I could. Um, and that was really important to me. So, yeah, if I if I could have like slowly moved across, then I think that would have definitely eased that that pressure a little bit more. Coming back to more traditional um, kind of cult- uh, coming back to more traditional nine to five culture. Um, do you have any insights on what you think makes a really happy workplace, and then specifically what employers can do to help like nurture their employees? Yeah, so I think a lot of it is about trust and empowerment. Um, So I think those things lead to higher rates of engagement as well. So it's kind of saying to employees, if you want to work flexibly, let's see how we can make that happen. For example, um, it's about ensuring that employees feel like they have a voice within an organisation. So things like flatter hierarchy structures, um, things like open door policies within senior management, um, also things like reverse mentoring. I think work, re- or I've seen work really, really well within businesses that I've kind of gone to speak at. Um, and kind of making sure that there's a relationship between all the members within the organisation. Um, and when people feel like that, they feel like invested more in the company and the business that they're working for. And then all of a sudden, you know, productivity rates start to creep up and start to get better. And I think that's something that there's definitely, we could spend a lot of time thinking about and working on. How important do you think culture is? I feel like culture is this buzzword that is thrown around a lot. Is it? Do you think it's super important to have a good like work culture? I do. Yeah, um, I, I agree with you that I think it is a buzzword that is thrown around a lot. Um, however, from working in so many different types of workplaces and types of cultures, I've seen the, the basically every single possible range of culture that you can have within a business, um, and I've seen. I, at least where I thrive best and it's kind of allowed me to say I know I work best in this type of workplace and with this type of culture and I know that actually this doesn't suit me that well um, and it's relating that back to my own levels of productivity and engagement in what I'm doing um, so I know that I need something that is I guess more stereotypically millennial in that it is more flexible it's quite sociable um, in a less traditional working environment, uh, flatter hierarchies, all those things, I know that that leads to me being the best version of an employee of myself that I can be. Um, so I think things like that need to be um, bottom up rather than top down led. Mm. Do you think traditional management structures have kind of gone out the window? 
I think increasingly that's the case, especially obviously in companies with um, higher numbers of younger employees. Um, I think that's something that is definitely being demanded from the ground up and that expectation is there. Um, I wonder to what extent that's driven by tech and kind of a younger generation's just ability to use it in a way that perhaps their managers are not. Uh, and that's why I talk about things like reverse mentorships when actually saying that, yes, we're younger and we have less experience, but we have a different type of experience and we are useful in a way that perhaps hasn't been seen in kind of those generational dynamics in the workplace before. Mm. And I suppose also like that's a good way to gather feedback in an informal sense because a lot of people I've interviewed on this podcast have talked about feedback and they've used quite kind of traditional manners of feedback and I think it can be a little bit limiting if you have a way of having a more of an open dialogue perhaps it creates a more relaxed culture. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's that's really key. And I think that links back to people feeling empowered and that they have a voice and that they're trusted um, by kind of their bosses. And those are the key things that kind of we see in just study after study after study that drive those kind of productivity levels. Mm. It was all kind of feeds back into it. It really, really does. Do you have any personal tips of productivity? Um, I think it goes back to stuff that we've already said in terms of being kind to yourself um, and just being really, really organised. Um, but I find that it's when I believe in something. Mm. It's when I feel that I genuinely believe in the mission or the vision uh, or the values behind a business. All of a sudden, it's that difference between working that extra half an hour one day or saying, oh, screw it, I'm just going to go home. And that is the key, key difference. You know, it's when you're kind of, oh, I could go down and get a coffee or I could just finish this one bit of work. And when you've got that mission behind you or that belief, that's what makes you do that tiny bit extra. And if you have all of your employees doing that over a period of time, that adds up mm. when you start to scale it up. Mm. So being clear on your mission and getting people on board and shared in the vision, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. Well, Emma, you've been the most wonderful guest. Thank you so much for sharing all of your insights. If people would like to find out more about you, where should they go online? Uh, so follow me on Twitter and Instagram at 25 before 25 or my website at 25 before 25.co.uk. Thank you so If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. 
Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. to this week's episode of Work Happy. If you're looking to work happier, book your free week at any work-life space at work.life forward slash free trial. Thanks for listening and don't forget to share, subscribe, rate and review. We'll see you next time and until then, work happy. Candy Store production for Work Life, hosted by Angelica Malin and produced by Van Connor. T-shirt weather by Poddington Bear appears under Creative Commons 3.0 with podcast recording facilities in partnership with Work Life. Visit work.life for more information and you can find us at candystoreproductions.co.uk. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.